Welcome to Kingdom.Think, where we are reading the Bible in one year, and we're in the book of Lamentations. And it's funny because I didn't know what that meant. But now, but then Danny mentioned it to me, and he said, well, that makes sense, because I was telling him how it's basically a book of Jeremiah expressing his deepest anguish over the fall of his hometown, his, his homeland, and the pain that he has to endure by watching everyone suffer, including himself. And so so I looked up lament, didn't even occur to me that lament is lamentations. So lamenting is um, an intense passion expression towards grief and sorrow, about their grief and sorrow. And so here we were reading the book of Jeremiah where God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah telling all the nations the terrible things that are going to happen to them, even though he does give them hope on every turn. He says, you guys committed this sin. You guys turned away from all the blessings I wanted to give you. I want it to be the primary, your, your, num- your number one in your life. I wanted you to worship me. I didn't want you to worship idols. And I gave you these instructions and you didn't follow them. You kind of took everything for granted. You took your wonderful life for granted and threw it out. So, and he kept warning them, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Turn away, please um, repent. But they never did. But if you don't repent, these are the consequences of your actions that you did. But they don't repent. And so... Sure enough, they had to deal with the consequences of their choices and actions. And Jeremiah was the prophet who had to tell them what was going to happen. Can you imagine that job, how awful that was? And that's what we read in the book of Jeremiah. And even though we read it as history and clear description, now Jeremiah is talking about how he actually feels, what he's feeling in his heart, and the sorrow and the anguish of the loss and the injustice and the the loss he feels for the people, even though they he knows they turned away from God, it was their fault. He just feels so awful. And so I'm going to just read a little bit because it's very poetic. Um, and at many times it's going to go from him speaking to him almost taking on the personification of um, Jerusalem. In other words, he'll say, I, I did this, I did that. Acting as, like, they would, when they wrote, when they spoke, they often um, personified a city. That's why the city is often called a she. Okay, so here we are in chapter one. How deserted lies this city, once so full of people, how like a widow is she who once was great among the nations? She, wa- she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The road to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways 
are desolate, her priests groan. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Okay, so it's just going to go on and on as he talks about the pain. Um, and then, yes, and then down at chapter, verse 7, it says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Lord, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She has pagan nations. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those who had forbidden to enter her assembly. So it's going into great detail, but poetically, passionately, in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, it continues. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with her cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and all its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrew his right hand at the approach of the enemy. So it sounds like this God in heaven is just pouring down such fierce suffering and torment to the people. If someone picked up the Bible and read Lamentations 2, they would think that. But if you don't read Jeremiah and Isaiah and saw God's grace throughout his his crying out for his people. Remember in the book of Isaiah, God was literally begging his people, please turn from your sinful ways. Please stop following these false prophets, these um, evil ways that the people were thinking were good because they were doing all the religious things, the festivals and the sacrifices, being religious, but on the other end, worshiping their pagan gods and being arrogant with God, taking all the blessings God had given them for granted. So what you're reading now are literally the consequences. In other words, God said, but if you repent, but if you repent, this won't have to happen. And they wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen. And God just pursued, 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 pursued until finally, and that's where we're at right now, they were exiled, so much punishment, so much anguish, and it's painful. It's painful to watch someone suffer for the actions that they created, and that's what Jeremiah is expressing right here, how they're suffering, and he's just struggling. He's struggling so much. Verse 11, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is the bread and the wine? Now remember, Jeremiah didn't go into Babylon. He stayed. So now he's watching the people in suffering. Um, what can I say for you within 
What can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken to you? That I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion. Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sins to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. Remember the prophets were saying, oh no, it's not gonna, nothing bad's going to happen to you. You're not doing anything wrong. They weren't calling out the error and the sins of the people. Instead, just like, oh, you're fine, you're fine. Just being um, uh, complacent, being um, compromising, um, being politically correct, just acting like, no, it's no big deal. It's fine. Look how comfy we are. Look, everything seems fine. Even though we knew that wasn't that God was saying, please, please stop doing this. And they wouldn't. Why? Because they were living in luxury and they thought it was always going to stay like that. And then in chapter 3, Jeremiah speaks in a different tone. Now he's acting, he's personifying, like speaking on behalf of the city. So he's personifying himself as if he is Jerusalem and Judah. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in the darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So is Jeremiah saying this is what happened to himself? Is he saying, I'm speaking on behalf of the nations, the Israel and Jerusalem, or Judah and Jerusalem, or or is it poetic? What's he doing here? Verse 22 of chapter 3, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him off. Offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. See, God had to cast out the sin. There was sin in people's heart, and they wouldn't change. Their hearts were so hardened that they wouldn't change. And they had to deal with the suffering. But God's love was so great, his compassion. And he didn't willingly bring on that affliction. It was the consequences of their actions. Crazy, right? And then another verse in chapter 3. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your eyes to my cry for relief. And you came near when I called you, and you said, do not fear. You, Lord, took my case. You redeemed my life. Isn't that so good? 
there you go. That was chapters one, two, and three of Lamentations. And although it seems like it was just a lot of grief, you have to read all that grief so that those verses of hope and grace and love and compassion that God has for his people, no matter what, just really pierces your heart Um, because God loves no matter what. Isn't that amazing? All right, my friends, that was Lamentations 1, 2, and 3. All right, have a great day. See you soon.